0: Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ari. Welcome to the show, Ari. How are you? Good, Mark. And you? I am... I'm all I'm right. I'm all right. Just all right. A few challenges. Yeah, a few challenges. Uh, but you know, you um, you keep persevering in, in life. I had an interesting thing that happened this morning. Had had, you know, the stories that have been happening with builders and stuff. Sure do. Yeah, you came at me for some money. And I sent him a pretty stiff email back. Anyway, as it resolved, is he's, he's now not asking me for that money because I, I clearly showed him where uh, he would be very liable if I proceeded. And let's just say he backed down. Yeah, you show him, Mark. Uh, yeah, don't you? Well, you, you, I mean, look in in this game in business. Unfortunately, you know you, you've got to have a, a very generous side, but you also have to have you have to have a backbone. You have to have teeth. Yeah, and you have to have claws.
1: And um, I'm yeah. glad I just get to see the generous side there. Indeed, lucky me. <laughs> you're just saying oh you're fucking not generous. Uh, no.
0: you
1: get to be on the podcast with Mark. So yeah. Great.
0: yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that was my morning. But um. Now we're we're good. So today we're going to be heading into philosophy. I Talking know, about philosophy, deep and meaningful conversations. Yes. Well, let's well, see where it takes you know, us.
1: Aristotle. I mean, this is a fitting conversation for you. This is true. This is me. This is my true calling. You know, Plato and Socrates couldn't be here today. Um. They're they're dead. They're very much dead. Yes. Very much dead. They haven't been yeah. here for a while now. Yeah. So but, I, know, I'm still going, you know, the, the beard and the and the curly hair and the, and the the toga's gone. But, you know, for sharpened up a little bit, a yeah, little I'm, bit less hair, but we I'm, I'm filling in for
0: Marcus Aurelius.
1: Sure. Yeah. He's been
0: away for a while. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Shortened it to Mark. Fair enough. Yeah. Aurelius was just too much of a mouthful to say. So, yeah, you know. um, I've got two
1: tattoos. I've actually got three tattoos.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice no, segue. Hey. I love. I love how how right before this he, he just confirmed that he's got three tattoos. As soon as we jump on air, I've got two tattoos. Brilliant. Go, Go on. I've got three actually. He's got three. Yeah, I've got three.
0: There's Amor Fati and there's uh, Memento Mori and there's a Valkyrie, the mother of my children. And there's my boys' names in, in that one. But the reason why for the two that I was I was going to segue into is the Amor Fati and Memento Mori. So, do you know much about Amor
1: Yes, let's talk about Amalfati. Let's Let's start by talking about when you first got the Amor Fati tattoo and then took the time to explain the meaning of it to a couple of the boys at Enterprise and we were sitting at one of the tables and... Mark spent about five minutes just giving this real passionate, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, go going on, man. this I like passionate, his... deep explanation as to what our party <laughs> means. And the conclusion <laughs> that I came to is, he takes the five minutes to explain it, and there's a, there's a pause, and I just say to Mark, so basically, it's just, a, it's just a very elaborate Latin way of saying, it is what it is. And he paused, he looked at me, he said, fuck you, Ari. Because he knew I was right, so why didn't you tell him what you told me? Well, you've
0: already you've already told him, huh? You've already told yeah, him. It's so what it is. Next tattoo.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Um, it was very good value. Yeah. yeah, it was good. What's that one that Ben Cousins has
1: on his stomach? Such is life. Such is
0: life.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, it's... I don't know how we <laughs> segued into that, but you want to get that one next. Yes, I just love like in Latin. Though I just want to get, I'm going to get enterprise in a Latin font across my stomach. Yeah, definitely. Um, to Mark's pleasure. Oh, um, I'll chip in if you do. Done. Yeah, yeah sorted. That's, that's good. So
0: amor fati was uh, one of Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophies, which he wrote in the book with the Gay Science, I believe, and uh, essentially, obviously, translates to love of fate, love fate that it really means love of your fate. And he wrote something very profound, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it off by heart, but basically, don't wish for things to be different. Don't wish for things to be backwards, forwards. If you were to live 10,000 lifestyle lives, to have gratitude essentially for all of those lives and for things to be perfect the way they are. And to not just be, not just to be at peace with your fate, but to love the challenges, the obstacles, and everything that's happened because it's brought you to this point. And I think, for me, at the time, I was going through a lot of challenges and getting that, you know, on my heart, symbolic of being close to something that, no matter what happens, is still try and find the gratitude. And you know, getting gratitude on your chest, it's like it's not as, I don't know, for me, it's not as powerful as a as a as a philosophy. It's not a ph- well, I think, well, it's not. Gratitude it is outside. what it is. Is way better. <laughs> It's the Aussie version It's the, the Bogan Aussie
1: It is what it is mate Yeah, yeah. It's good um, The pub version In a parallel universe there's a, there's a Bogan mark out there With just all the All the Bogan translations Of Yeah I reckon of, he's, I reckon he's got more tattoos too
0: Yeah I reckon he's got definitely Got the southern cross tattoo Yeah Definitely and On his arm
1: Instead of a Valkyrie It's just a It's just a Tradey <laughs> With a VB <laughs> Yeah with a Holding a VB With a VB The dart And he probably has a lot more kids too
0: Yeah Because <laughs> we got All these uh, stars Yeah
1: pretty much. Beer cans, maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, go on.
0: <laughs> so I, I just love it as, as a philosophy for life. So if, for me, it was something that I wanted to, to tattoo as, as a reminder each day that, uh, no matter what happens is to, to love what happens. And it, it can be very challenging at times. It's not to say that it's always going to be easy to see that, but I think the challenge of life is, is to see that. And, I think you make sense of life. You don't make sense of life when you're in the moment. You know, you never do. You can never see, you know, 10 steps ahead. No one has a crystal ball. And, you know, the fortune teller was almost never right, or, you know, might be writing parts, but he's so vague that it can't be right, you know? And you can only make sense in hindsight, looking back on this event led to this event, led to this event. And if it wasn't for this event, I wouldn't have been here. And I think that's both the challenge but also
1: the beauty of life that is worth uh,
0: i think reflecting on
1: yeah. I think I think I think no one wants to endure the hardships when when they are going through them but in retrospect in most cases it's going to be something that they can look back on and take something from I think there's always there's lessons that you can take from things good and bad and every everything that you go through is an opportunity to learn something from and to take with you going forward I think there's a lot of stuff that we can't stop from happening to us I think I've heard the 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 adage that you know life is 10% what happens and 90% how you deal with it and I think that applies to you know most of what I've experienced I've seen the same the same hardships make people stronger as the same hardships that have broken people and you know you can either own it or it can own you so what are you getting tattooed on your chest? Amalfati? No. Such well, is life. We've got, we've got Enterprise on the stomach. I think I'll wait until the new Enterprise comes and we've got the tattoo salon out the back alongside the, the smoothie bar and then we'll we'll see what I want to get. So uh, you're not going to get... What was the one you said? Such is life. Such is life. Such is life. You get that? I'll do it, do it for my boy, Ben. <laughs> what did you get tattooed on? Um, well... It ties in probably to the next tattoo that you've got in Memento Mori because something that I'm a big fan of is what's called La Catrina. So La Catrina is the Mexican huh? mythical figure from the Mexican... That's the essentially the face of the Mexican holiday, Day of the Dead, where essentially they have one weekend where they will essentially not... Use death as a means of mourning, but as a means of celebration and celebrating life and celebrating death without fear of or sadness. Um, now, for me personally, obviously controversial opinion, but I believe that uh, you're born, you live, you die. So I'm not hanging out for anything uh, being here after me. Once I'm I'm gone, when I'm when I'm gone, that's it. So it's been a long-term process of. Well, accepting that and making peace with it and understanding that not to be afraid of death because I actually wouldn't have wanted the opposite. If someone said to me, oh, no, you're going to live forever, I think that would be a fate even worse Quite overwhelming. than death because if you had all the time in the world to do things, you'd probably never do it. And But you also see everyone around you die. You everyone do. ever gets close to you, they'll end up dying. Right? Correct. Um they're not also living forever. Yeah, correct. So just understanding that you've got one life and so, to do everything that you want with it. Would you would you uh, identify as an atheist? I would. Yeah. And have you seen Coco?
0: I have not. That is an amazing movie. I do it's need to see Pixar. it. And it's, it's, it's an embarrassment that I
1: haven't seen it given that I'm <clears throat> I'm such a fan of the the art surrounding La Katrina and what's called the the sugar skulls that you'll often see as part of, of Mexican art.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tearjerker as well. It's 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 an amazing movie. I mean, some of the Pixar movies that they've made. The other one I really love Pixar is um, the one with the kids and then the dad. Forget what it's called now. It's going to come. Is to it me. a newer one? It's a newer one. Then then I'm useless here. It's it's amazing, and uh, it's actually based on a true. Basically, these kids heard there's a recording of their dad, and they heard the recording of their dad. And this was actually true. This is how the writer wrote it. And that was all they had. And they'd listen to it every night, every day. And then, you know, essentially he made a movie, a kid's movie about it. And uh, yeah, amazing. But anyway, so you describe as an atheist. So there's nothing in the afterlife. So what's the point of life? So would you almost be like nihilism? Because a lot of people would tribute nihilism to being atheist, But it's not necessarily though.
1: No, because I would never want to live forever. But I like the idea of being remembered forever I like the idea of legacy and leaving the world and leaving people better than how i found them and if that's something that i can do and have that effect on people then happy days and find what i enjoy find what i value and lean into those things triple down on them and i feel like that's something i've been able to work make a lot of progress towards doing in the last couple of years and just keep life simple, and I understand what I value, what I enjoy in life, and I think I understand the things that I'll have time to enjoy now that I perhaps can't enjoy as much later, and yeah, just understanding that life Legacy, is it's almost paradoxical though, right? Because legacy and the afterlife are almost closely
0: tied, because on one hand, it's like, well, you, you don't believe necessarily there's anything
1: after But then you also want to leave something for when you're after well there's nothing for me after but for other people there will be that's true so but then what's the point why not just live for the moment i do live for the moment but i think there'll be people who still know me when i'm gone and i think being remembered for something nice is a nice little thing that you can leave behind that's true i don't disagree with any of that um
0: one what, what interesting take was I think it's Native Indians who also believe that you only really die when someone stops saying your name. So people can live, quote-unquote, forever in terms of the hearts and the mark they leave in the world, but when someone stops remembering that person... And it's very much Day of the Dead actually ties in directly... And that's why the celebration of the Day of the Dead is to remember the dead so they're never actually lost. Um, and I think Coco, the movie, paints that uh, beautifully. Uh, in that. So, you know much about like the differences of schools of thoughts with hedonism versus stoicism? versus a little i but I'll, I'll leave it to you to expand on a All little right, bit. Right. Well, more. if we kind of like paint this, and there's like Epicurism in there as well. If we kind of paint the scenario, like, stoics like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, you know, they're very much about living to the highest virtue and they, you know, they have their virtues of stoicism. And I'm not an expert in this, but I do like the, you know, living for a higher virtue, the way I interpret it is to. Live for live for purpose rather than live for say the opposite spectrum, say hedonism, live for pleasure. And man often doesn't buy pleasure, he sells himself to it. And when selling himself to pleasure then becomes a I suppose a vehicle or a tool to pleasure and then just a constantly seeking pleasure for the pleasure's sake, but that also in many ways is the antithesis of accomplishment because to Have accomplishment or to achieve things, which often achievement is linked to fulfillment. If for us to achieve things and to become fulfilled, we need to delay pleasure. So hedonism, whilst it sounds good, and seems good, and this is where things like the dopamine hit on Instagram, the you know horn hub and being able to have access to you know swipe left, swipe right, twenty four seven Uber Eats, this kind of modern world that we live in, it's instant gratification, and it. D trains our dopamine receptors, our brains to constantly get that influx of, I can have it now. And we're taught, I think it's really problematic for kids is we're taught that we can have it now and we don't learn to delay gratification. But hundred percent, you know, based on multiple papers, research, I suppose just practical success is one of the key things you need to learn if you want to achieve things. And by way of metric of achieving things is feel fulfilled is you need the ability to delay pleasure, to learn the skills. To actually push through the pain this is why I think being a hedonism and just someone who because the other the other part it's like well why should I delay you know if if life is short as you know in your instance let's say you don't believe in an afterlife and I'm kind of undecided about that personally because I don't know like I no one no knows. one knows no no one, one knows. no one knows you know people will say things like you know we're re- you know Buddhist I think you're reincarnated there's an afterlife there's a heaven there's a hell. There's this, and depending on religious beliefs and backgrounds and cultural beliefs and backgrounds, there's all these different permanations of all these things. And, you know, spirit and soul, I definitely believe in spirit and soul, and that is eternal. But what he's after, like, no one knows, right? Um, So I don't know is is the answer. It's an infinite possibility. So in saying that, on one hand, if life is temporary and you only get one shot, then why not live for pleasure? Why why isn't that like our highest thing? And I think because pleasure is not why you're here. Fundamentally, whether you believe that you get one trip around the sun or whether you get multiple trips and goes at this, I think fundamentally is is most, if not all people, will feel fulfillment in the service of others. And that gives meaning, which gives fulfillment, because if you don't have a meaning to, an anchoring point in life to hook yourself into, life can feel very aimless. And when you feels aimless, you feel that not. Think of nihilism, think of what's the point of everything. And when you go to nihilism, then it becomes just pleasure seeking, which then you don't, then the cycle of not having any fulfillment and having any satisfaction in life,
1: which then creates a downward cycle. Yeah. Thoughts? Um, totally agree. And I think if we take off our philosopher robes for a second and put our PT hats back on, if we talk about, say, the, the one for instant gratification in the context of food, I know this is something that you talk about in your book where where at the end of the day we're still the same human beings that we were millions of years ago who didn't know where our next meal was going to come from whereas now we live in an age where food is is readily accessible everywhere we go and highly palatable foods essentially make it a lot easier to i guess hijack the the pleasure center of our brain which is well, you know causes people to fall into you know looking for those highly palatable foods and just not being able to, to put it down, even though our bodies don't actually know that yeah, the food is available and we actually do know where our next meal is going to come from. I think because of that, I mean, it's people like you know, David Goggins of the world,
0: the uh, Wim Hofs of the world, and the reason why these guys have so big of a followings in terms of the movements that they've made is because these are guys who voluntarily seek out pain because I think people, for the most part, what you're talking about, with even food, the basic needs and fundamentals of food, we haven't made. And it's like, what's the challenge? And I think when people get stuck in, like, what's the challenge? People seek that voluntarily. Things that, you know, whether it's a marathon, whether it's training, whether it's sitting in ice for five five minutes or whatever, doing, uh, you know, the ultra marathon events that david goggins does i think these things is because people identify with these things and go yeah you know what life is too easy this is where is the challenge where is the the delayed gratification because life is feeling unfulfilled and when people have that they they attach and i think the same thing's true like i said bodybuilding why get up on stage why get up on stage in you know dick togs or a bikini and or board shorts depending what you're competing in and stand on stage in front of people and do all that hard work what's what's the point there's nothing pleasurable, but for a lot of people, it's fulfilling because there's an achievement attached to that. And that's what we actually want and drive to. So I I think as a philosophy for life, whether you believe in an afterlife or not, you need to
1: anchor yourself into that. 100%. I think people get a lot of pride and fulfillment similar to what you touched on before uh, in Participating in things that are perhaps bigger than themselves, or doing things to help other people, or I know personally for me, it's the pride in perhaps being able to do something that not everyone can do. Not everyone can step on stage, or no one, ha- not everyone has put in the work to uh, do a photo shoot, or to run a marathon, or to you know be the one percent in something and I think there's a lot of fulfillment that I've gotten from doing something of that caliber. I interrupt this podcast to give you
0: a very special message. December, we are running an Elite Results Bootcamp. What is the Elite Results Bootcamp? It is a three-day bootcamp where we teach our systems around strength, hypertrophy, and fat loss. It is intense. There are six workouts over the three days, And our trainers not only spill the beans on all the techniques, methods, systems that we use to get next level results, we take you through actual workouts so you can experience in real time. If you're a client, if you're someone who's interested in enterprise fitness, or if you're a trainer looking to level up, check out our course, Enterprise Fitness Academy, and click on elite results. You know, uh, memento mori, you know, the phrase. So in Roman, ancient Roman days, you know, it's it's almost like people say you think of it when things are bad. In actual fact, it's no. When things were good, was when it was whispered. So, if you had a tribute, which is the, you know the highest honor in Roman tradition, if like you were a warrior or something, and they made tribute to you, when you're on parade, you you could like you know senator, say in Rome, and people were celebrating you, throwing rose petals at your feet, that kind of thing. You you would have a servant. A lot of, of uh, you know, senators would have a servant who would follow them around and say, whisper in the ear at this time, Memento Mori, Memento Mori. At the, the highest peak, which basically was a sign of saying, you know, all this pleasure, all this fame, all this recognition, remember, in a heartbeat, this could, all could be over. In a day, this all could be over. So Memento Mori means remember that you're mortal. R- remember that you can die. Or r- remember you will die in fact, which I think a lot of people take it as when I tell people what it means, and so remember, oh, that's kind of like bleak. But for me, it's not bleak at all. It's it's true.
1: Remember, you're mortal. It's Mm. quite liberating in a way.
0: Yes, yes, it is. It's very liberating. Remember all of these opinions of people who, like, you know, I heard something that was really good. It's like, when you die, you know, you're that casket in the middle, you have the first layer of people who are weeping. At any funeral, that first layer, people are weeping. And very very upset and sad and grieving for that loss. That's the first layer. These are the people who really cared about you, and you really cared about them. And then there's the second layer, which is the pe- those people who are just there for the other people. That first layer, you know, the if you're the son of someone who died, it's the girlfriend or the bo- you know the boyfriend, whoever it is. Um, they're supporting that first layer. And then that third layer is the people who just knew you and everyone else who were in and out of your life and kind of and most people live their lives for that third layer. They don't live their lives for that first layer of the people who actually will be the ones weeping. And for me, Memento Mori is also about remembering that. It's like, what, what am I doing? Why do I care about what that person thinks about what I'm doing? Because this doesn't bring me happiness, but if I let this go, this person's going to judge me for for letting this go or whatever it is. And it is very, very liberating.
1: What do you think of people who like to measure their impact that they've had on people, uh, by the number of people who attend their funeral, you'll hear people say, "You know, what I mean, I'm going to measure the, the effect I've had on people or how good of a life I've had by the number of people at my funeral. So well, I think it's that's an interesting
0: common. thought, but I think that's more to do with popularity than it is to do with meaning. And I think people conflate those two because there's been many great men and women who've died that we hear about them years after. And their writings have changed the world, but there were—I think Frederick Nietzsche would be one of these people who I think would check himself into a mental asylum. His, his books never did anything when he was alive, but then years after, you know, transcends the world of psychology and has had an enormous impact on on the world. So, I think I think it's—I think there's a lever effect. You can you can you can have. I mean, it's that saying, right? To the world you may just be one person but uh to that one person you might just be the world and i think that the meaningful like because to say you know if you if your fulfillment is raising a family let's say you know and you have an amazing connection with your kids your wife or your partner whoever it is and you really give and there's only let's say four people you know 10 people in comparison to let's say a michael jackson of the world where there's millions and millions of people who are mourning you can't say that that meaning that that person had, that mum, let's say in this case, or that grandma, and the effect that she had on her whole family. And a perfect example would be my, my nonna, right? Uh, she made the courageous decision to leave Italy um, when she was, I think, 19. And she bought her and her, her husband. They came to Australia and set up shop. And she didn't know the language. You know, my mum was five when they moved. Um, she was fresh off the boat. Um, so my nonna might've been a bit older, maybe like 25, but she was, she was young, right? She was a young girl, um, just with, with two kids and then the third on the way. And, you know, that completely changed the course of her whole family life. And when my nonna passed away, there were obviously, you know, she, she changed the whole generation of families, like three, three families that, you know, she had three kids, three families with, with grandparents, uh, obviously uh, kids in every family and parents and kids and grandchildren. So I think the the impact is not to be understated. Now uh, that impact is obviously locally, but it's meaningful. And you can be you can be an influencer, you can be a celebrity, and you die, and sure, it's popular uh, for a week, for a week. But did that person really have? Were they really remembered? Were they, was it really impactful? Is anyone really putting their photo up at their house, lighting a candle, thinking of them? Probably not. So, for me you know, how many people have been in your funeral? I think that's a very commercialized Western way of trying to measure an immeasurable. And I think in the world, I think there are many currencies, not just Bitcoin.
1: Um, <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. You just said immeasurable, but what Bitcoin would and be- Ethereum. Yeah, exactly. How much Bitcoin <laughs> did you die with? The <laughs> your worth as a human. But what do you believe would be uh, the best metric in your opinion of I guess, measuring oh, the positive impact you've had on. Or... I have an answer for this. Name it. A full table. A full
0: table. So for me, my metric of success is a full table. And it's this concept of when I die, I want there to be a full table of people who are at my table and my table is full. That's how I measure my success now. Not money, not gems, not success. It's who's at my table and is my table full? And have a full table, you have to have good relationships with people, right? And that's what's going to be remembered, is when I'm older, um, are people going to want to be at my my table when I'm older? Are people want to want to, like, was I a good person in that sense? You know, and, and when you say good person, people ascribe to being a pushover or being, um, you know, uh, constantly giving or not being able to stick up. And I'm not saying that, like, there are times where you're going to have difficulties in relationships such as just a part of life. But being able to work through those relationships and still have people who want to be at your table, for me, that is a measure of success when I'm alive. And I think for me, beyond that, it's like, well, why do I care? <laughs> you know, when I'm dead, why do I care? That, you know what I mean? Like, Because
1: I, I don't know the, the, the afterlife. Thoughts? Totally agree. I think I can think of uh, there was something that I did enjoy uh earlier this year even though 2023 i can confident, confidently say has been the best year of my life there was something that i did endure that i can actually confidently say was the worst day of my life um which is a te- also a testament to how great of a year it's been because even having endured that this year this year has still been phenomenal but i think the thing that centered me when i was going through it was understanding that the people closest to me were still there for me still loved me and my relationships with them hadn't been affected and if I knew that when I reminded myself and had the validation that those people were still in my corner then that was all that really mattered and it didn't matter what the outside world had to say or what was going to transpire yeah I
0: think people always I think that's kind of the world that we live in is people want the two-dimensional character they want to make you an Instagram profile and you are this 2D person who posts nothing but happiness and everything is always great and rainbows and shun sign and hedonism. It's it's it's. I think the drug of Instagram and in modern life is that people are addicted to, to hedonism. They're addicted to pleasure. That's it's the is, highlights really, isn't it? It's all yeah. you see. And, and people aren't two-dimensional. People are kind and they're cruel. People are nice and they're mean. People are Happy and they're sad, and that is that is the truth of life. Is the the opium of the massen, masses is to always be happy, and that's just not true. And never has been today on Instagram, you know, or any social media platform for that matter, is people don't you know, and it's always contrived when people do. People don't post. You know what? I had a really fucking shit day today, and uh, this is me looking really fucking ugly. You you don't you know, and when people do, it's it's a breath of fresh air yeah or it's contrived you know it's very contrived and they're doing it to be the anti-establishment yeah. to the fitness model who's always posting perfect photos
1: yeah. it's kind of the anti-hero it's like do you do you, what do you need to document it
0: yes yeah hi do, do you, need, no, do you really. need to document it no you don't so i i think you know all in all um it's it's Increasingly, yeah, it'd be an interesting world when you know interesting world that kids. I think you know there is a big difference. You know, there's, a, there's obviously a generation difference between you and I. You grew up on the internet. I grew up or with the internet, if that makes sense. You know, internet was there for you. I remember there's 56k modem, and was it 56k? You know, and you'd make that noise and it'd connect. And if you wanted to download a song, it took like
1: three five minutes. And oh, good old LimeWire. wire.
0: Yeah, that's the one. Had and, to give your
1: computer uh, you aids know, to to download one song.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know you would your friends would burn MP3s and you would pass them around. And and now like kids, they have access to everything. Everything. Actually, I could tell this story. Right, my kid the other day um, said, "Dad, I um I looked on the internet and I saw a girl." I'm like, "So what do you mean you saw a girl?" He goes, "Oh, you know, I, I looked up a girl." And now, you know, he was quite confused. He looked up one of his friends at school, who's older than him, basically Googled porn. I had to explain to my son. I go, well, when I was your age, porn was in a magazine. And there was maybe 10 women in that magazine with 10 pictures. And you couldn't buy it. Like if I was your age, I couldn't buy that magazine because I had to be 18. And if one of those magazines existed, they were like passed around kind of thing and you know, you, you didn't, you were lucky to have it on your own, right? Your age, you have access, you know, how, how many, how many women could you look up on the internet? Millions, exactly. At, you have at your fingertips access to millions of these photos, millions and millions, unlimited. Most men my age can't handle that. You're you're nine. Do you think you could handle that? He goes, no. I go, well, what you got to do? You see, I don't want you to, to look at it, right? Because it's, it's going to mess you up. So instead, if you start getting interested in girls, what I want you to do is when you start talking to the girl, say to her, do you want to hold hands? Do you want to play? Or just have a conversation with her. Ask her how her day is. Tell her her hair is nice. Like have a conversation with her rather than, uh, and start talking about these things with my kid. Because um, I think there is a lot of shame and guilt around sexuality and Kids these days, because they have just access, parents, they don't want to talk to their kids about sex, and they don't want to talk to their kids about these things. But your kids have the internet, dude. Yeah. It's either you're going to educate them, or the phone is the, they true. They're going to look up porn. Yeah. They, and, and if you're like, oh, no, my kid will never look up porn. Man, you know what they do at school these days? is They, they, they merge the, the school. like So there's like five and six, or like three and four. So my kid's in year three, but he's in school with year fours. And there's that developmental age of a nine-year-old being with potentially 10 or 11-year-olds. Man, the 11-year-old, potentially the 10-year-old for sure, they're they're seeing these things. They're they're interested in these things. They're going to bring it down to that year level and you've got to educate your kids on these things. So pretending these things don't exist isn't and has never been
1: a solution to these problems. So how do, it's obviously a very broad question, but how do you combat an impressionable child that's susceptible to anything that can that can go their way in terms of it can be them learning something from the phone or them learning something from someone else at school who you wouldn't want them to see or they show your kids something that you wouldn't want them to see how much control do you feel like you have over that how much control do you feel like you should have over that this is my stance on it right and why I want to be
0: talking about this, if nothing else, I hope people get this, is that I personally think that we're entering the age of transparency in that there is access to everything. Um, and if you, so in 1950s, it was the age of obedience. That's how you raise kids. It's do what I say or else. Yeah, but you're not doing that. Shut up. You know, and you get smacked, right? The, the, that's how my dad was. Like, my, not my dad to me, but my dad's dad, like my non you know, he, he my dad got beaten, right? And um, yeah, if you did that today, obviously bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. That doesn't happen. And you know, then there's my dad's generation, and your dad's generation, who you know got raised by very hard men, and you know they were hard. And then we got you know a different end, and they expressed it differently with emotional. And then there's our generation, we were raising kids and figuring it out, and we're a completely different new age. And kids have so much access today, and so much choice, and their brains are just. You know, sponges. And I think the the age of transparency is you need to talk to your kids. And I think the age of transparency also brings about a really beautiful dialogue with children. At least that's what I find, is that I want to create a space that you can talk to me about anything. Anything. Anything you want. Because if you can't talk to me, you're going to be talking to someone else. And you're not going to be getting my advice. And I've lived all those mistakes. So... Why wouldn't I, like, who Why who else is better than me to do this job um, is the way I, because I know what I've lived and I know that I can do this kind of thing, right? And it's my responsibility as well as a parent. So I think really it's it's the age of, of
1: transparency is um, how I approach it personally for me in my model of the world. Well, it makes perfect sense because I guess there's no reason why that wouldn't be applicable to children of past, you know, being the the voice of of stability and reason to your kids, there's no reason why that wouldn't have been applicable to your dad's generation or your, your dad's dad's generation being the person that your kid can turn to when they want to know the answer to something or something bad happens or they're unsure about something.
0: Well, I think I think it's be.
1: that thing of where people, and I think parents, males,
0: potentially, we idolize the achievement, money, commercialism kind of thing. And it's like, you don't want to give, you don't want to give your kids everything that you never had. Like, that's the myth. I want to give my kids everything that I never had. You you, you do, you do. Yes, that's true. But what's actually more valuable to them, I think, is you want to give them all the advice you never got. That actually is, is for me, it's, it's not, it's not the material. Yeah, I didn't have the video games or the toys. So I want to give them that because they're going to forget about that. But what is the advice that you needed when you were eight and going through all that? What did you need to be told? And it might have just been, you know what? I love you, kid. You know, you're a great kid. Or or whatever it may have been. That's what you needed. Or you needed that direction. And then creating that space for that. So for me, that's my, say, as a parent North Star, of
1: anchoring into that. I think, because how how do you teach a child or prevent your child from enduring many of the same hardships that you have to endure without breeding a lack of resilience because i know there's a, there's yeah, a fine there's mind a, there's a there's a saying there's a cycle it's hard times create strong people strong people create easy times easy times create weak people weak people create hard times and the cycle yeah i'm, very, I'm very
0: cognizant of that and that's why i don't want to give my kids too much yeah i i, I want them to go through a hard times. i want them to lose i don't want them to get the trophy all the time i want them to earn everything um you know, my kid competes in... He competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He got a... He, he came third. He really wanted a medal. He came third. He beat one kid. And there was another kid. That, he was very good. Like, these kids he went up to. I'm like... it's like, oh, I lost. I'm like, yeah, man. He The kid was very good. He was he was excellent. This kid was excellent. And um, I'm just glad the kid didn't hurt my kid. Right? Like, I'm walking away. Like, this kid's going to be a killer. Um, but yeah, I agree. You want your kid to lose. You want your kid to fall over. Cry. And what did you learn? And one of the things I think primary principles is you win or you learn. And it is a balance of how much do you intervene? Because if you do everything, they don't learn, they're not responsible, and they don't develop that as adults. And I think that's equally as bad, uh, well, probably not as bad, but you know, so- someone who-, who doesn't do enough has its problem. Someone who does too much, you create dependency. And it, it is ch- a challenge Definitely is a challenge of you know, I think Warren Buffett, good old worry Warren was I
1: was I beat me to it.
0: I think he said it best, which was you wanna give your kids so much you wanna give your kids enough in life so they can do anything, but not so much they don't have to. And I think, you know, even if you apply that philosophy to teams, and um, managing people, you know, I, I I you can apply that to everything. Really, um, you know, I've got an incident where it was a trainer here, and he'd been here for a long time, and he gave me the program, and I said, "There's mistakes on here." And he goes, "What are they?" I go, "You're a smart guy; you figure it out." Gave him back the program. I go, just send it back to me when you figure it out. Credit to him, he went back and he started reading, and he leveled up because I just kept challenging him on things because I knew he could take it, and knew he was ready to to go into that, and he wanted it.
1: And that built resiliency. So I think you can apply it to multiple things. What's the biggest difference between teaching kids and teaching someone from the teen? Kids don't have the biases of their own bullshit, if that
0: makes sense. Kids are... And they're also unfiltered. So they're not going to give you what you think you, you, you want to hear. They're not going to give you what you want to hear they're not going to play a game. They're not going to pretend they like something when they don't. They're just going to be the mirror for how you showed up. It's it's kind of pure and adulterated. You're in a bad mood, that's why you got a bad kid kind of thing, right? Like you you didn't present this well. That's what and and also just I think the level of you know the emotions that a kid has, you know, the ki- kids feel the emotions the same as us except they have these little tiny bodies. So when they explode, they explode because their bodies can't contain these big, big emotions, which they've felt for the first time and they don't understand. And I think as an adult, you have to really detach. It's like, why is my kid throwing this tantrum? What are they actually upset about? Do they need to be pushed now or do they need love? Do they need to be challenged or do they need a hug to support? And I think when you can take that step back and breathe, um, yeah, so there's, 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 there's a definite difference cause between working with adults definite difference between working with adults and having a child who's feeling these things and confused and for the first time but it is definitely a
1: a potent uh experience in the sense of reflection would you say it's easier to do with kids in a lot of ways then because they're more of a reflection of you and you understand the emotions that they're feeling and they're less as you said impacted by external bias see this is where the paradox is right
0: because in theory, it's easier, but there's more emotions because they're your kids. So you're like, why aren't you doing it like this? So your emotional component of it is because you care so much that you get suckered in. And it's not always easy to, to, you know, you need to detach a little bit so you don't have that emotional response. Um, whereas with working with, say, an adult, you can be a lot more detached because... You're going to go home, drive your car, go in your house, feed yourself, do all those things where it's like, I really need to teach you how to do this. And you're not doing this thing. And if you don't learn this thing, like you're not going to be an adult one day. And I need you to be an adult one day. So you, you care more, I think, and it's natural to care more. So you have to catch yourself as well. So I think it it's, it's different is, is the answer. I would give? Sure. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you today, Ari. Parenting 101 with Mark yeah, and
1: Toby. And philosophy, parenting and philosophy. Where can, where can the folks learn more about you? You guys can find me at Enterprise, and you can find me on Instagram at coach.reo.
0: And my name is Mark Tobry. Thank you for watching. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast or video on. And until next time, train hard, eat well, and supplement smart.